This morning we will be looking at Luke chapter 7. We'll be looking at the last section of this chapter, verses 36 through 50. What we have here this morning is an interesting and well-known story. It is the story of a woman who comes in gratitude to see Jesus. I ask that you pay attention to this text that we have before us here because you may recall there is a similar incident just a little bit before Jesus' crucifixion in which there is another woman at another house of a man who's also named Simon. That man, however, is a leper, not a Pharisee. This is early in Jesus' ministry, not right before his death. And so rather than importing other concepts we have from these other passages, we focus on the word that God has for us this morning. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And most of all, the word of the Lord is completely without error. Luke chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of a woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? 
And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would show us, that you would show us, O Lord, the great compassion and power of Jesus. Lord, we ask this morning that you would teach us from your word, that you would show us truly who Jesus is, truly what he requires of us, and truly what he gives. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I said, this morning we have this interesting story of the woman interacting with Jesus. It's a story about forgiveness. And it's a story about the response of forgiveness. But I think what underlies behind both of those things is an attitude of the heart toward ourselves and our need for Jesus. You see, this story is in a capsule form. The differing reactions of those who know they need forgiveness and Christ and those who think they do not. It's what drives the story here. It's what drives the conversation. What we see here, in essence, are three things. Two people, and then an analysis that Jesus makes. We see, first and foremost, the devotion of a sinner. The text makes no bones about who this woman is. She is indeed a sinner. But then secondly, we see the derision of a Pharisee, the hatred, the contempt of one who believes he is beyond the need for grace. And then third, we see the difference of faith, the difference that faith makes in our lives. Devotion, derision, and a difference. Let's begin then by looking at verse 36, at the beginning of our passage this morning. One of the Pharisees asked him, that is Jesus, to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house. And he took his place at the table. Now, it seems right off the bat we're struck here that something odd is going on. Aren't the Pharisees the enemies of Jesus? Aren't they the ones who are after him? And why would Jesus want to eat with them? Why would they invite him? This Pharisee, who we learn later, his name is Simon, throws a dinner party for Jesus. What's going on here? Well, our first instincts are partly right. He's not doing this for his gratitude to Jesus. There's something a little bit up his sleeve. It may be that he wanted to do it for his own benefit. You see, at this time, it was actually considered a meritorious religious act to invite the rabbi for dinner. By doing this, you earned points with God, as it were. And the Pharisees are all about that. Now, 
You won't earn any points from God. But let me just interject here to say that I do not turn down good steak dinners. So this man invites Jesus into his home. He's probably trying to show off who he is, but there's something else, something more sinister, I think, at work. You see, he has seen Jesus out and about in the community. This is likely happening in the city of Capernaum, where Jesus has been for some time in Galilee. He has been healing people. He has been preaching. He has even been raising people in nearby towns from the dead. And it's likely that Simon has heard about Jesus and said to himself, you know, I hear all these good things, but he does hang around all these horrible, sinful people. He couldn't really be a good rabbi now, could he? I better investigate this a bit more for myself. And so you get the impression that he brings Jesus in to to quiz him to put him under the hot light, to see if he will make a mistake. And and we see this from later on a detail that Jesus gives to us. When, When you invite someone into your home, what do you do? You say, oh, it's so good to see you. You shake their hand. You give them a hug. You take their coat from them. You make them feel welcome. And Jesus makes it very clear that Simon has done none of this. All Simon has done is put together an arena in which Jesus can be on display. And they would come, and in Simon's house, which was very likely a wealthy home, the the dinner would be arranged very differently than we are used to. There would be very likely an outdoor open area, a portico or a garden area, in which the food would be set in the center And then the guests would ring the food. But they would not sit at a table and chairs as we do. They would recline on couches or cots or beds, as it were. And what they would do is they would lean in toward the food, lying on their side, leaning up on an elbow. And their feet would be pointed out. And they would be easy to have conversation because they would all be together with their heads close together and their feet spread out toward the side. This is important to understand as we see what the woman does. So have that mental picture in your mind. Now, the other thing about this meal, it's different than if you or I were to invite some guests over for food. This would be more like an event, almost an ancient block party, in which people would come and go. Now, If you were not specifically invited, you would not sit in the center circle. You would not get to eat. But you could come and listen in to the conversation. You could hear what was going on. And in the days before the Internet and newspapers and 24-hour news, one of the only ways in which you could find out what was happening with the government, what was happening in the news, would be to listen to important people talk. And Simon is an important person. And he has important guests. So people would come in from outside to find out what was going on. And so what we have here is an uninvited guest. It's a woman who comes. And you see, even though this is sort of an open party, it's very clear she would never have been invited. It's very clear that no one expects her to come. It's very clear that even by her presence, other people feel uncomfortable. 
But the good news for her is she is able to come and she is drawn to be with Jesus. She comes with a purpose. Luke tells us that she brings an alabaster flask full of ointment. She has prepared for this day. She has brought with her perhaps the most expensive thing that she owns. This fragrant ointment in this flask would be something that people would save their entire lives to buy. Oftentimes, even it was associated with burials because people would save it their entire lives to be used in a funeral. And here she comes purposefully with this most dear of possessions. Now, why does she come? Well, it's not specifically stated in the text, but I think we can infer from what Jesus says, she comes because she has already come to hear and to know Jesus. She's not seeing Jesus for the first time. And this shouldn't surprise us because Jesus has had a ministry for some time. And as we have found out with the derision of the Pharisees, that he hangs around people like this. Jesus spends time with sinners, tax collectors, harlots, liars, cheats. So somehow she has heard from Jesus what it means to be right with God. And for someone who has lived a life of pain and suffering, self-inflicted in many senses, as she has brought the suffering and pain of sin upon herself, as she has stained her own body with her actions and sin and made it such that no one even wants to be around her. You have to understand the context here. She is the lowest of the low on the social ladder. The mere speaking to her could cause a man to lose his reputation. She's not someone who has friends. She's lonely because she's isolated and she's isolated because of what she has done and that guilt has racked her for years upon years upon years. She knows she is to blame. For many of us, I think maybe all of us, we are like her. No, not in an outward way. People will talk to us. People don't look at us and point and mock and say, sinner. But I think each and every one of us, if we look into our hearts, we see that we have hurt ourselves. We have hurt others by the sinful wrong choices we have made as a result of what we have said or thought or done, our souls are stained, as it were. We feel guilty. And although we might put on a smile and be friendly to others, there's a part of us inside that feels like this woman, like we're alone, that no one can understand us and that God couldn't possibly forgive this sin of ours. We wouldn't even want anyone to even know of it, let alone to seek forgiveness. From it. And so she comes to this dinner, and notice she does not enter the circle. Remember the picture in your mind of the food and of all of the attendants, the guests, 
as they are inside with their feet way out toward the back. And she says, I'm just going to come up to the back of Jesus. As close as I can get to him is his feet. You see, that's what's going on here. She wants to be close to Jesus, but knows that she can't get into the circle. But at the same time, she is so overcome by a love for the Savior because she knows she was hopeless. And now she has hope. She knows she was guilty. And now she's been set free. She knows that she was wandering purposeless and now she has a reason for living because of who Jesus is and what He's done. And so if you can imagine here, I think in our mind's eye, we think she was planning to somehow clean Jesus' feet because Simon was a bit of a deadbeat. But, but I don't think that's what's happening here. I think she came to be with Jesus and to honor Him with the ointment and to say to Him how much she loved Him and how much she cared and how thankful she was. But you see, she never even gets that far. She's so overcome with emotion that as she is at Jesus' feet, she can almost look down and see big droplets hitting His feet. And His feet are going to be very dusty from the road. They haven't been cleaned. And so now mud is caking on them and she doesn't know what to do. Now, I'm going to ask you, to make a huge leap of imagination and to imagine a woman crying uncontrollably for seemingly no reason. But there's a real reason, right? And the emotion then gets even the better of her then. What do I do? She sees she's crying. She can't stop crying. The fact that she's trying to stop crying makes her cry harder. And Jesus' feet are a mess. What does she do? She doesn't know. And so what she does is she takes down her hair and cleans his feet. Now you have to understand what this gesture is. Some of you are thinking, ooh, I wouldn't want my hair to be that dirty. But you have to understand in this day, it's not about cleanliness of hair. To let down your hair was the equivalent of a woman taking off her blouse. You didn't do it for anyone except for your husband. But she is so taken in the moment that social convention means nothing to her. She only sees Jesus. And she knows that Jesus is the one who gives her meaning. And so she continues her focus upon Him and she takes the ointment, she anoints His feet to honor Him. To say in a small way, Jesus, I could never repay what You've given to me. But this is the most costly thing I have and let me serve you in the most humble way possible. I'm not even worthy to anoint your head with this ointment. I can only anoint your feet. There's a lesson for us in this. We all don't have to raise a million dollars to give to missions to show Jesus that we thank Him. We don't need to do great and grand deeds And wait until we can work that up in ourselves to show Jesus we thank Him. What we need to do to show our gratitude to a Savior is to take what is most precious to us and offer it up to Him. That could be our families. Could be our marriages. Could be our careers. The point is 
is that if we are truly grateful and if we truly understand how Jesus has changed us, we cannot hold anything back from Him. And the good news of the Gospel is Jesus doesn't need fancy and expensive. He doesn't want you to work to get Him a good car. He doesn't want you to strain and strive simply to get Him good things. No, what Jesus wants is you. He wants you to give from your heart, from a gratitude, from what has been done. This is the devotion of this sinner. The second thing we see from Luke, by way of contrast, is this contempt, this derision of the Pharisees. So Simon is watching this go on, and you can imagine what is going on. They're they're sitting having a meal, and this woman is sobbing uncontrollably. Now you know what it's like when noise interrupts. There's There's a little level of discomfort. Someone's speaking too loud in a restaurant. You can't really enjoy your meal. You try and pretend they're not really there and not really talking that loud. Not really speaking in anger. Right? Maybe for some of you that's been you. But what's happening is they're around this meal and she's sobbing. And you know what that sounds like. The heavy breathing and the crying and the hair and the ointment. And they're trying hard just to pretend that if they think hard enough, she will fade into the woodwork. Simon's thinking to himself, you know, I know I had this open dinner, but the nerve of this woman. I said it was open, but I didn't mean her. I didn't put out in front, sinners welcome. You know, as a matter of fact, if she really knew, that's part of the reason I brought Jesus here, to ask Him why He hangs out with sinners. And now look, He's bringing Him into my house. Doesn't He know that just the fact that she touched Him makes Him ceremonially unclean? Do you have any idea how much it's going to cost to bring cleansing agents in here so I'm not ceremonially unclean? What is going on here? And notice what he does. He says to himself, does he, that is Jesus, know who or what sort of woman this is? You can almost imagine the sarcasm. He does his best to depersonalize and dehumanize her. She's not worthy of being a person. She doesn't have or need a name. She's that sort of woman. This is something normally that we see in times of war. Right? We depersonalize the enemy. We make up names for them. We make propaganda films about them so that they are depersonalized so that somehow we will feel better about treating them as we have to in a war. But there's also something else that's going on here. As he looks at her, Simon is making a judgment that he does not need to show her the least amount of grace because he doesn't need grace. He doesn't need to give her any grace because grace is something you earn by being good, by doing what you're supposed to, by inviting the rabbi for dinner. And she has already blown it. Now imagine that. 
Stop and think in your own lives. Metaphorically, close your eyes. And think of how many colossal, stupid mistakes you have made. Things you have said. Things you've done. People you've hurt. And now imagine that the way the world is, there is no such thing ever as a second chance. If you make a mistake at five, you are done for life. Because you see, that's the world that Simon lives in. There are no second chances. No one is worthy of them. Therefore, they can't get them. And then he begins to move and we see the trueness of his heart and what he understands or does not about grace. You see, he moves from judging this woman to then beginning to judge Jesus. If at the beginning of this dinner he was unsure about Jesus, now he's got Jesus pegged. I won't be inviting him back for seconds. Look at who he brings. Look at what he does. You see, this incident proves his skepticism. He's heard that Jesus is a friend of sinners and now he's seeing it. This is why he would not greet Jesus with a kiss. This is why he would not show him any hospitality at all. This is why he would not honor him by anointing him as would usually be the case. The guest of honors would receive a small anointing with oil. No. He thinks he's figured Jesus out. And not only is Simon better than the woman, Simon thinks he's better than Jesus. You can hear it in his tone of voice. You can see it in his vocabulary. He says, if this man were really a prophet, and by the way, I don't think he is, he would know what sort of woman is touching him. Now, there's nothing untoward about what this woman is doing. But Simon implies there is. He implies there's something a little bit immoral about the way she's touching. He uses a word with an edge to it. Acting sort of like Jesus has brought this on himself. Like Jesus is doing this for selfish motives. And the irony here is, Simon, not only will he not act, he can't even talk a good game. Do you see that? Luke says he said to himself. And then here is the supreme irony. The Bible is full of humor. This is, I think, one occasion of it. Simon is saying to himself, you know, there's no way this Jesus is a prophet. Because if he were a prophet, he would know about this woman. And the irony is, Jesus is a prophet. He knows exactly what this woman is. And he knows exactly what Simon is saying in his mind. Jesus is indeed the true prophet. And Jesus turns to Simon and he says to him, Do you see this woman here? You can almost hear the edge in Jesus' voice. Because you see, of course Simon's going to say, Yeah, she's right over there. But Jesus means more than that. Do you really see who she is? Do you see that she is a person? Do you see that she has been changed? Do you see what grace has done? You don't, Simon. You don't even think she's a person. Jesus begins then 
to show us the difference that faith makes in the life of a sinner. Because you see, if we are honest with ourselves, as we sit here, churchgoers, well-dressed, we are more likely in this interaction to be Simon than the woman. We are sure that we are not the kind of sinner that this woman is. We are sure that we are proper. We read the Bible. And we understand what grace is about. But only the only way we can understand what grace is about is if we look at this woman and we see ourselves in her. We see that we are people who are wickedly sinful, who are desperate for grace and who need Jesus. And when Jesus comes to us and we grasp Him by faith, and we ask Him for forgiveness, and we find the freedom and joy that comes with it, gratitude and joy bursts out from us. And we weep with joy. And we seek to serve Jesus with all that we are. You see, the reality of who we are is, we are sinners. This is more than just a Bible verse. See, we can say that. We can recite the verse that says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that is true. But does that become personal to you and me? When you say that verse in your head, do you have in mind the things you have done or said that if they became public, people would shun you? Because it's only there do you find grace and forgiveness. You see, Jesus looks at Simon and He says, Do you see this woman... She has gratitude. Let me explain to you what this is like. He says, a certain money lender had two debtors. Now, Simon is listening, and I want you to imagine his face changing when Jesus starts. Jesus says, can I say something to you? Yes. Well, let me tell you about a certain money lender. If you're a Pharisee, and Jesus starts a sentence with, there once was a certain, you know you are in trouble. Because he is about to give a parable that is going to spring like a trap on you. So Simon, yeah, okay, yeah, all right. You're not going to get me like you got Bob the Pharisee. Come on. I'm paying attention. There was a certain money lender. And he had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and one 50. Now, to put that in our terms, a denarius, plural denarii, was one day's wage, basically. So, to put that in terms we can understand, let's assume, for the sake of argument, that an average income for a year in Katy is $50,000. That would mean that one man owed about $90,000, and one man owed about nine. Now, you can see right from there what the difference might be. If I said to you, you owe someone $9,000, what are you going to do about it? What you're going to say is, well, wait a minute. If I cut the speed of my Internet from the middle to the low, that's 10 bucks a month. If I cut out my cable, that's $50 a month. Um, I won't drive as much. We won't eat out. You could start to do the math and think you could dig your way out of a $9,000 hole. But if I said to you, okay, you owe me $90,000, then the $10 savings on the phone bill doesn't go very far. Then you start to think, there's no way I can ever get my way out of this. 
I could scrimp and save for forever. We could never even go to McDonald's for the rest of our lives and all the money we save will not be $90,000. What do I do? I can't ever come up with that. That's the picture Jesus is painting for you. Now, they both owe. Now, Jesus gives us one other important piece of information. He says neither of them can pay. You see, one thinks he can pay. He just cuts the bills a little bit. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Neither one of them can pay. Now, Simon, just suppose here that the money lender forgives the debt. Who do you think will love him more? Again, you can almost picture the look on Simon's face. The language is harsh, vivid. He says, well, the one I suppose who was owed more. You see, that suppose in there is a little bit of a biting thing. He's saying, I know you're trying to trick me, Jesus. I know you're getting me in a trap, but this is such an obvious question. I have to answer it. Jesus, five-year-olds can answer this question. If you're going to trick me, come with something more than that. But you see, the problem is, it is a loaded question. Jesus says, who do you think will love more that has been graciously forgiven? The word there for forgiving the debt means freely, graciously, and with kindness, not begrudgingly. Who will respond to that love in a greater way? And you see, the problem is, Simon thinks it's an easy question and answer, and it's been sitting right in front of him at this meal, and he has blown it. You see, there is one who has been forgiven much. We know she is a sinner. The text tells us three times that she is a sinner. In verse 37, in verse 39, and in verse 47, there is no doubt that she is a wretched, wicked sinner. This is not a misplaced person with a heart of gold that has somehow been misunderstood. This is not a Hollywood movie. Her life is wretched. She has brought it upon herself. She is without hope, and she has found forgiveness in Jesus. And Simon can't see that. And worse for Simon, because he can't see that, he can't see that he owes too. He thinks he's a lender, not a debtor. You see, this is important for us. See, as we bring the gospel to others, we cannot think that we are creditors, that we bring to others value because we have it figured out. And therefore, we tell others what they need. No, what we have to do is go to others and say, you are in need, you are in debt, and you cannot pay it off. So once was I. You see, Jesus here is trying to get not only Simon, but you and me to see the debt that we owe. That we could never work off. And when we find and see that debt, then we can find and see Forgiveness. It starts with being willing to see our need, but it has to move with a willingness to come to Jesus. <clears throat> this must have been extremely hard for the woman. She knew she was going to be mocked. She knew she was not going to be invited. She knew people were going to talk behind her back, but she had to come and be with Jesus because there's no better place to be. 
Because you see, she found that Jesus has the compassion to forgive and that Jesus has the power to forgive. Do you see that in that last interchange? How many times was she told she was a sinner in our text? Three times. You know, when when mom speaks to you, young people, she says something, you listen. When she says it a second time, you really perk up. The third time it comes out, you better get to running. This is emphatic here. And now Jesus arranges so that not once, in verse 47, not twice, in verse 48, but three times, in verse 49, she's told she's forgiven. Solely by the word of Jesus. And those who are around say, who is this guy that thinks he can forgive sins? This guy is God. This guy is the Savior of the world. This guy is the only way to the Father. Everything else is just pretend. Everything else is just fake. It's who Jesus is that brings us to the Father. Now, don't be mistaken here. Don't jump as some do and see that she loved and therefore Jesus was overblown and overwhelmed by her love and therefore He forgave her. That's not what the text says. The text says that she was forgiven and then she loved. She came a forgiven woman and because of that, she evidenced it. That's actually what the that means. You see, when Jesus says to her, Therefore I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, what He's really saying is, let me give you a reason to show you. That's what the for means. Because she believed. And He closes this out in the last verse, doesn't He? His last pronouncement is to her, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There is a biblical order to salvation. Faith comes first and faith holds on to Jesus and faith finds forgiveness in the work of Jesus. Do you need forgiveness this morning? Then no matter what you have done, no matter how deep you have buried it, no matter how you have tried to forget about it, Go to Jesus. Because you see, by faith you can receive and know forgiveness. And you can have peace. That's where hope is found. It's found in coming to Jesus. And receiving at His hands what we know we could never earn and never pay. The debt is paid. It is finished are the words of our Savior on the cross. Let's pray.